Hi there, it's Elliot. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to squeeze in a quick mention about the Page Learning Lab, our new online learning program for communications professionals. Page and its members are charting the future of the profession, and the lab gives you access to their thinking, the most progressive thinking out there on topics ranging from comtech and journey communications to culture change, stakeholder capitalism, business skills, and DEI. It's tailored learning designed to fit into your busy schedule. For more information, check it out at learning.page.org. I'm sure by now you've heard the old adage that it can take years to earn a positive reputation and only minutes to destroy one. Much of the work that communicators have led for the last few decades has been focused on reputation, how to build it and how to protect it. And as with many things in our profession of late, technology is supercharging our ability to understand our stakeholders and shape their perceptions and behaviors. Page termed this revolution ComTech, and it will in many ways define the next era of our craft. Walmart has become one of the largest and most prolific retailers and employers in the world, with over a half a trillion in sales. But along the way, it earned a somewhat negative reputation on things like treatment of employees and big stores squeezing out mom and pop shops. Like any company, Walmart wanted to understand these perceptions and do what it could to shift them. In this episode, we bring you the story of Walmart's ComTech journey and how it is leveraging data analysis and AI to deliver real reputation and business impact. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. It felt like we were sort of living in a 24-7 crisis. Uh, you know, there was, you know, war rooms that were set up, um, the, the sort of daily onslaught of media coverage and attention that the brand was receiving at the time it felt like we were under an intense sort of assault uh, on, on many different levels. And the brand was under assault. That's Aaron Bernstein, director of insights at Walmart. I met him through Page's work on ComTech, to which Aaron has been a huge contributor. The mandate at the time, you know, was to you know, begin pushing back. We'd been on the defensive, you know, just sort of trying to to tread water. And, and there was a sort of a, an inflection point and a realization at, I think, the highest levels of the company that Walmart needed to be more aggressive and outward in telling their story. You know, not just from a transactional perspective, which is, you know, ha has been sort of the historical narrative you know, talking about our, our, our value proposition of, of low price and, and, you know, saving people money so, so they can live better. But there was a, a need to go beyond that. And how do we actually talk about Walmart as a, as a brand, as, as something that sort of extends outside of just the head, but, but the heart? And so I came into that environment and, and was sort of given some responsibility to start unpacking kind of the, the complexity around the Walmart's reputation. Walmart was and is an incredibly innovative company, but it wasn't without its detractors. I asked Aaron about the perception of the company when he began there. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's interesting, um, no matter sort of who you talked to or how many focus groups you participated in, you know, across all different sort of demographics, 
you know, the, the common sort of narrative against Walmart, right, sort of represented one of three things. Um, and it's sort of what people would say, which is, you know, I think you treat your employees terribly, you get everything from China and you kill mom and pops. You know, I don't really care like who you're talking to in what context, one, if not all three of those things are going to get brought up. And the work that we did, you know, was to really unpack that, right? And, and how they feel is, is centered around the notion that it's socially unacceptable to like Walmart. I, I don't want to associate with the people who shop there. I don't want to associate with the people who work there. They're not like me. I feel guilty or embarrassed going into a Walmart. I hope my friends or family don't see me, which which is sort of interesting because, you know, if you look at it statistically, you know, 90% of the country has shopped at Walmart at least once in the past year and two thirds of the country has shopped there in the past month. Um, and, and then there's this unspoken sort of feeling that Walmart represents all the ills of modernity, you know, and, and every sort of social, political, economic issue is Walmart's fault. This is a crucial point. Up until then, Walmart was using logical messaging to respond to emotional arguments, and the pitch was not doing much to shift perception. And, and so, you know, what we sort of strive to do was, you know, build an emotional framework uh, around the brand where we could then sort of deliver fact-based messaging through. And that manifested itself into a need and a desire to go invest in reputational advertising, you know, which the company had never done previously. And so, you know, I was sort of fortunate enough to kind of be a part of the first effort Walmart's made in telling their story at scale in a, in sort of a paid environment. So Aaron sets out on a mission to discover best practices. My great pleasure. It's 2012, a time dominated in the U.S. by the presidential election in which Barack Obama was running for a second term. Obama's campaign had already made history in 2008 for its voter micro-targeting efforts, and they were seeking to build on that success four years later. Clearly, there was a lot to learn from the campaign about how to find and persuade people to shape their opinions and to motivate them to act. And, you know, what I saw, you know, sort of given kind of Walmart's positioning was a, a, a parallel, you know, in, in the sense that you know, Walmart size and scale puts it on the same platform as a presidential candidate. Now, granted, you know, um, you know, we don't have one election day, right? You know, it's not just, hey, November 5th or 6th, we need to make people feel better about Walmart. No, like every day is an election day. There's a daily referendum on the brand, right? People are voting not at the, you know, at the booth, but at the register. And an opinion is incredibly hardened. On, on both ends of the spectrum, right? And that opinion has been hardened for, for decades and it's been formed and there's very few undecided swing voters out there on the Walmart brand. And so when we were sort of thinking about like, how do we sort of run a campaign? How do we build a media advertising apparatus? And knowing that like, we don't have a presidential size war chest to spend, are there any best practices and learnings that we can pull from the political environment and apply that into the corporate environment. You know, who, who are swing voters, right? And for us, it's like, well, wait a minute, who, who are swing shoppers? Who are swing consumers? You know, who, who are people that have middling favorability on brand? Who are people that shop occasionally, they trade in, they trade out? 
and you know think that it's important for companies and, and Walmart to be a good corporate citizen. And so if you think about those sort of three dependent variables, like there's the intersection of that, you know, sort of yielded an audience. This was sort of corporate affairs, communications driven. The marketing infrastructure um, was not focused on this. They were, they were focused on driving the core proposition of price, assortment and convenience. Corporate affairs was dealing with all the negative narratives that are much more emotional and deep rooted. Right. in the belief that Walmart's not a good employer, not a positive contributor to communities, responsible for all the ills of modernity. Back then, you know, you, you know, you'd ask sort of a marketer who your audience is for Walmart and they'd say everyone. Right. And but you'd ask us, I'd say, well, it's here's 27 million persuadable shoppers. That early success set Aaron and his growing team off on a path to get more out of the data that the company could gather or acquire. Campaigns are important and the results even more so. But Aaron saw greater potential for data analysis to be a powerful source of business intelligence. We started building our own sort of analytical audience models um, and creating our own sort of consumer file. Now we can, you know, optimize our media to, to reach them in the most sort of direct one-to-one way. So, you know, DirecTV and, and Dish Network and some of the satellite companies that enabled us to take our sort of 27 million you know, persuadable shopper universe, match that up directly with their sort of addressable footprint. And now we can start to deliver you know, advertising directly in the households in, in sort of a, in a controlled type of way. Then on the back end, they start to prove the, the ROI on reputation, right? Which was, again, another sort of breakthrough because you know, now that we've connected you know, a, a household you know, directly do a file and then are, are now able to sort of map that back into our, our Walmart transaction environment. Now I, I can actually, you know, assign attribution to, to advertising. So me exposing Elliot to an ad around, you know, Walmart as an employer, um, you know, versus, versus John, you know, and then being able to see, you know, in a, in a controlled environment, whether, you know, Elliot's transactional relationship with Walmart improved. And we started to build data points around the, the value proposition of reputational spend in the form of, of stronger sort of customer loyalty and, and increased transaction and increased basket size. That in and of itself, you know, 10 years ago was sort of revolutionary. So the, the addressable campaigns were helping you to influence reputation but you said you were then able to connect that to purchase behavior? Correct. How did you do that? What we did was we layered on a lot of different sort of unique uh, sort of attributes to Walmart. And, you know, we were conducting, you know, massive surveys at the time, but appending sort of the survey respondents back to our consumer file, right? Which, again, enables us to sort of build these unique audience segments. And then we built a crosswalk between, let's just say, Elliot, your household, there's no, no PIIs being exchanged, we're just using ID numbers, but Elliot's household ID back into the Walmart environment and matching that with your sort of Walmart ID. And, and now we're able to sort of track and monitor your, your, your spending behavior as a result of advertising exposure that we know is being delivered and we know what frequency it's being delivered at. You know, every, everyone who, who, who makes a transaction with any sort of credit card has an ID, right? So, you know, 
and Experian enables you to sort of build a crosswalk and match, you know, sort of living unit IDs within Walmart with living unit IDs outside of Walmart. And now, like, you know, in today's environment, like, that's this is sort of table stakes, right? But I think, like, for, for TV, right, which was sort of the primary medium of sort of communication, um, it, it wasn't. And so to be able to, again, like, you know, start to show that reputational messaging can influence shopping behavior, you know, is, is a really sort of powerful, powerful data point um, that you can sort of bring to bear as you're kind of making the case for more investment, more dollars. The TV campaign was data-driven proof positive that this approach could work. And it won't surprise you that it led to more investment. In the time since then, Aaron has been focused on broadening the possibilities of using data rather than just using it to segment and target audiences and drive their behaviors and perceptions. Aaron's been building what can only be described as a real data-driven business intelligence function designed to help spot trends, opportunities, and risks, and help answer a host of relevant strategic questions. We're uncovering hidden trends in, you know, different sort of competitors, R and D efforts, right. By analyzing their patent filings, you know, we're looking at different sort of acquisition targets and partners through analysis of their investments. Um, you know, looking at, um, you know, strategic risks, right. You know, and, and how that can sort of, you know, get, get prioritized spotting patterns in, you know, uh, you know, returns, customer returns and, and how do we sort of take action, um, monitoring and listening, customer feedback at scale, right. How, you know, to help improve different sort of processes. Um, so, I mean, those are some more business applications. I think, you know, one that, you know, is, is most recent um, is, is some analysis that we just did around being a regenerative company, which I think, you know, in today's environment, a lot of, um, a, a lot of people are focused on, right. And it's sort of the next wave of corporate social responsibility. And so, you know, we were sort of just given a, sort of an assignment to, to help the business become a little bit smarter in understanding, um, you know, th that this landscape and, you know, how can it, you know, how's it evolving? Uh, what are sort of, sort of the major trends? What are, you know, what, what are other companies doing to position themselves as being regenerative? And, you know, it, it, you know, we, we started to apply a lot of the same sort of methodologies, you know, where we were scraping 10, tens of thousands of news sources, social sort of social posts, uh, company databases, you know, other, other sort of open source sort, you know, um, data, data sources and put together a really sort of robust analysis, uh, around, you know, regeneration, um, that, you know, Ultimately, you know, I get you know presented to the you know our, our, our CEO and, and many members of the executive committee. As I'm listening to you, I would probably assume that you'd have some sort of like technology or data science background, and I would also assume that you've probably assembled a team of people like that as well. But I don't think that's the case. So, can you talk about why you or how you and the types of people and skills you've tried to assemble in order to to really build this capability? Yeah, it's funny. It's a yes and no answer. So, you know, to, to your first question, do I have any sort of data science, you know, background or, or education? No, 
No, I mean, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a liberal arts guy. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of joke that like my, my sort of math skills are, are challenged daily by my, by my five-year-old and eight-year-old and 11-year-old. Um, you know, uh, I, I was not, you know, there, there was no prescription in terms of how I got into this space. There was no job description. There was no mandate. I, you know, was sort of following my own kind of intellectual curiosity and, and, and but I, but I think that's okay. Right. Because I think like, I think what hopefully, I don't know, I'm able to illustrate is you, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a data scientist, right. To, to build capability and, 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 and sort of shape kind of a, a comms tech transformation within your organization. Um, you know, you, you have to, you know, I think there's some key attributes, right? Like, you, you know, you have to be intellectually curious, right? Like you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. Um, you have to be sort of kind of agnostic to the data used and the questions asked, um, you know, and, and, and you have to sort of be willing not to, you know, achieve sort of absolute or, or a hundred percent of, of sort of information or certainty before making kind of decisions, right? Like, 60% is, is more than sufficient to sort of make an action in, in a lot of instances. Um, and, and so like that, you know, that was just sort of like been my own sort of experience. Um, but, you know, where, where I, I sort of deviate from your, your second question is I actually have assembled a team of people who are much smarter than me, who, who know this space, you know, at a, at a much more granular level than I do. Um, but, th- but they represent, again, sort of this kind of multidisciplinary approach. And, and again, like, you know, it's not just about getting data scientists. Like, yeah, great. Like, you know, having somebody who, you know, is sort of sort of well-versed and, and has depth is, is important. But in the same way that like, hey, you know, if you know, got someone who's, you know, came from kind of a business consultancy environment, right? And just understands sort of broader kind of business intelligence. The people who are, you know, just really smart when it comes to like sort of understanding kind of social analytics and, and have expertise in, in those domains to maybe just, uh, you know, just understand, you know, uh, sort of you know, kind of customer behavior and, and, and customer insight. The connective tissue across all of it is no matter sort of your, your discipline, everyone sort of embodies the, the characteristics that I just described. Right. And, um, you know, you have to be willing to kind of be a little bit disruptive. You have to be willing to take on some risks what's important in all this, right, is the fact that number one, it, 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 it reflects the, the evolution of the communications role as not just being a sort of press liaison or media liaison, but being a broader business counselor, right? So the fact that like these type of questions are getting sort of asked of communications, right. And, and asking for, you know, that, that's just sort of, I think important in and of itself. And then two, the fact that, you know, the, the sort of non-traditional methodologies that I was just talking about and how we go about answering these questions through NLP and, and other sort of uh, other mechanisms are, are seen as credible, right. And, and, and are, and are given, uh, uh, you know, a, a platform and, a, and an audience at the highest levels of the company, you know, where I think like traditional models of getting questions answered, right. You know, is 
you know, traditionally sort of being outsourced to, to the major sort of business consultancies. And, you know, you're, you know, you're often getting, um, you know, hundred page PowerPoint presentations and, you know, six month, seven month long sort of project scopes and, you know, a lot of MBAs getting embedded within your organization. And like, look, that still happens. And there's a lot of value to that. But, but I think like the, you know, it, it, it just was a, a data point in, in giving our work legitimacy and the methodological approach legitimacy. And I think you all sort of see this through, through a lot of your research, uh, you know, where the, the CCO is becoming a, a sort of trusted business counselor and advisor. And, you know, many are, are sort of reporting directly to sort of the CEO. They're, they're part of executive committees and, um, and, and as a result, right, like the, the role and the expectation, you, you know, extends beyond just sort of the traditional sort of stereotypical sort of scopes, right, which, you know, were, you know, pretty sort of narrowly defined about 10 years ago. But, you know, I think they're, they're a lot less defined in today's environment where, you know, you have to be knowledgeable and informative on, you know, not just what's happening within your own business, but what's happening outside of your business, you know, I say this a lot, like what's happening politically, culturally, socially, economically within the zeitgeist, you know, how can you stay up to speed and understand sort of the, the implications and the relationships between, you know, what's happening in the environment and then, you know, what that means for your business, because that's really the only way that you can sort of help inform, right? Like business decisions that, um, you know, go, go beyond just sort of the traditional kind of media questions that, you know, we were, were often asked. Um, and, and so look, I, you know, that, that, that context, right. Like, you know, provides the work that, that, that I do. And then, you know, that, that we do with, you know, you know, with, with more momentum, right. And um, because if we can sort of be that infrastructure that provides that level of sort of insight and intelligence, right. That's helping more sort of contextually and sort of, you know, effectively counsel and inform corporate business marketing comm strategies, right? Through through data and and intelligence, um, you know, you, you sort of set yourself up to have a, a really strong sort of value proposition. What Walmart has built has taken years, and it's sophisticated. But they had to start somewhere, and they learned along the way. I asked Aaron what advice he has for people who are just setting out on their own journey. I think people can get started by doing some self-reflection and, and some diagnostic work. What's the functionality that you're missing or you think you need? You know, is it greater sort of insights and intelligence, you know, to become that true business counselor? Is it better sort of media and social monitoring and alerting and reporting? You know, do we need to sort of automate some, some processes that can flag when, you know, issues or, or conversations are, are reaching a threshold? Do, you know, does that exist or does it not exist? You know, you know, we're producing a lot of content, right? For, for own channels, for, for paid channels, for earned channels, you know, are we, do we have effective infrastructure in place to help optimize that content, to, to measure that content? You know, do we, you know, do we have audiences that, you know, we care about? How are we thinking about audience identification and engagement? Um, you know, is, is the opportunity for us employee engagement and comp? So to me, it's like, you know, where do you start? Well, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that sort of diagnostic work that just defines on the front end, what existing data and technology systems you know, do we have, if any, right? Um, you know, what, you know, what, what 
you know, how, how do you how do you think about scaling systems to ensure they're widely supported and adopted? But really, like, what's the highest value communications use case for you? Like, don't don't think about boiling the ocean. Don't think about yes, we all want all the functionality, but like, pick pick one thing, right? Like, pick one thing that you know you want to prioritize and you know accelerate at, right? And like, that is the highest value communications use case for you that can help you kind of shape this new approach. And so like where I sit today, you know, it, it's not that, you know, all of a sudden I, I just, you know, boiled the ocean and, and brought in seven or eight new sort of technology capabilities and, you know, operating across all these different areas. So I, you know, you know, I don't, I don't think there's sort of one size fits all. And, you know, I think everyone, you know, out there, um, I, I think the message that I would relay is like everyone out there has this capability, has the ability to have this capability, has the ability to, you know, quote unquote, you know, act like a data scientist without actually being a data scientist. And it just requires sort of a commitment and a curiosity um, and, and, a, and a willingness. And, you know, I think if, if, if you know, sort of fellow practitioners out there really embody that, um, it's, it's going to really pay dividends and further elevate your role in your organization. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner, without whose support we simply would not be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.